and we thought it would be appropriate to have a children's time today. And uh, so kids, I know you're sitting there with your parents um, watching the service, and uh, I just want to encourage you for a moment um, just to think about what a blessing your mom is to you. Think what a blessing your mom is who not only um, bore you um, in her tummy for nine months and went through the morning sickness and went through all the discomfort and all the things that, that I have absolutely no idea about, but she went through the, the pain of childbirth for you. She labored to bring you into the world. But as you probably don't realize, but um, the moms here among us realize that the labor didn't stop there. Um, that the labor that began at childbirth was just the beginning of the labors that your mom exerted for you. And so, kids, what I want you to do, I'm just going to stop for a moment. I want you just to stop and go over to your mom and give her a hug and say, Thank you, Mom. I praise God for you. Would you go and do that now, please? Go over and, and give your mom a hug and say, Mom, I praise God for you. Okay, I trust all the, the moms have been hugged. Um, but I just want to, again, just to, just to help you to, just to think for a moment. Some of those things that, that you maybe struggle with when your mom is telling you things that you don't want to do. That's a labor for your mom, but it's a blessing for you. When your mom stops and says, no, I don't think you should do that, or, and I think you, should, you need to do this instead, your mom is actually blessing you. She is telling you from God's word, she is doing what she is called and commanded to do. Likewise, when your, your mom says that you need to eat your Brussels sprouts, she's not doing that because she wants to torture you. Your mom is telling you to eat your Brussels sprouts or whatever, insert whatever vegetable or food it is you don't like. She's telling you that because she loves you and she cares for you. Your mom has actually been given to you as a gift from God. And, and one of the things that the kids, I don't, some of you will appreciate, but, but many of you are too young yet to fully appreciate what a blessing it is to have a mom who knows and loves Jesus. I'm talking about the labor that your mom um, does for you, but the, the greatest labor and the, the most effective and powerful labor that your mom does for you is she prays for you. Your mom prays for you. She prays that you will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. She prays that you would grow up healthy and strong. She prays that you would grow up to know and to love Jesus. There are many people who are in the kingdom of God as God has decreed that he would work in response to the prayers of loving and prayerful moms. And so kids, you might not fully appreciate this now, but, but I trust that one day you will, that you will look back and you will say, thank you, God, for giving me the mom that you did. You know, we celebrate Mother's Day once a year, but, but don't, just, don't just wait till Mother's Day to, to do nice things for your mom. Don't just wait until Mother's Day to give your mom flowers or to tell, you that you, tell her that you're thankful for her and tell her that you love her. And husbands, this is a cue for you as well. Tell your wives how thankful that you are for their love and care for your family, for the ways that they are serving Christ by serving your family. Encourage your wives. Children, encourage your mothers. And I want to encourage the mothers out here as well. It is a, 
It is a hard and often thankless task. But God sees. God knows all of your labor for the Lord, and you can trust God. It is not in vain. You think about the, the there's a saying that says that the, uh, the, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Think about the influence that you can have on the next generation. Your influence for the gospel. You don't know whether there's a, there's a Spurgeon who's growing up in your home or a Jonathan Edwards or a George Whitfield growing up in your home or somebody who's, who's going to be faithful and proclaim the gospel in their workplace or to their neighbors and many more will come into the kingdom through the ministry of your children that you prayed for, that you faithfully taught the gospel to. So be encouraged that whatever fruit you see, trust that God sees it all and that he has decreed that he would work in you and through you for his glory and for the, glory and for the good of all of his people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for a moment in, um, as, as we get into the passage, but I'm going to stop. I want to pray for, for all the moms. And, and with that, I also want to pray uh, for those who would, uh, who would love to be moms but, but are, not, um, are, are not through, whether it's because of singleness or whether it's because of infertility, are not able to be moms. Because this, this is also a challenging day for them and, and want them to be, be encouraged as well to know that God also sees their trials and God also sees the challenges that they uniquely face um, under their particular circumstances. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you. Lord, that in your sovereign plan, you decreed that we would be born into families. Lord, we thank you for the godly influence that so many here have experienced and are experiencing from godly mothers who labored to care for their family's physical needs, but but also labored to care for their family's spiritual needs by praying faithfully and regularly uh, for their children, for their whole family. And Lord, I, I pray that you would encourage by your spirit the moms um, in our congregation even now. Lord, as, as the world stops to um, say thank you um, and to, to give a card or flowers to, to, and gifts to, to mothers, Lord, by your grace, may we be a people who are thankful for our moms every day, who don't need to be reminded by a secular holiday that... Um, that moms are, are vitally important. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help even, even we who have older moms, Lord, to, um, to, to care for our families and to be faithfully encouraging them and reaching out to them and, and making sure that their needs are well cared for. Lord, I pray that the children in this church that who are, are growing up in homes where moms are praying and and where the word is central, I pray that you, that you would help these children, each of them, to grow up uh, to love and know Jesus Christ. And that the next generation um, would grow up and to be uh, proclaiming the gospel, Lord, to the next generation after that. And that the word will continue and your church will continue to grow. Lord, I also want to pray for those who, are, who would desire to be moms but aren't moms. Lord, where it's because of singleness, I, I pray that, that you would cause there to be um, contentment in Christ, that, that, they would, that um, the single amongst us would know um, the, the, the um, comfort and the, the blessings of Jesus Christ, their husband. And that they would be content and to, to know of, and to be aware of God's sovereign plan, that, that for them 
for this moment means singleness. But Lord, it could change in the future according to God's sovereign will. But I do pray that you would help them to be content today and every day preach this truth to themselves that, that you are, are the God of today, that you'll provide everything that they need. And Lord, we pray for the, the women in our congregation who, um, Lord, who, are, um, who are, would love to have children but have not been able to. Um, Lord, we pray for a special comfort for them. And, and Lord, that the challenges that they, that they face, um, even in, on a day like Mother's Day, um, Lord, brings a reminder of, of, of an unmet desire. But Lord, I pray as well for them that they would know the comfort of Christ. Lord, I, I pray that, that um, you would help each, each woman in the, in the church to see that, that she is uh, vitally loved, whatever her, her family or marital status, and, and for the, the women amongst us who would love to be able to have children and haven't been able to, that you would see that, that they have a, a privilege and opportunity to be spiritual mothers to many. And Lord, I, as I think about even the, the women who have been a godly influence on me and, and who really, um, especially when I was living overseas, um, there's many Christian moms who, who welcomed me into their home and, and, and um, fed me and, and loved me and cared for me. And Lord, I think of the example that the, the older women can be for the younger women in the congregation. And um, so, Lord, I, I pray that, that whatever Mother's Day means, if, if, um, if it's a time of, uh, of happiness or a reminder of sadness, I pray, Lord, that Christ would be exalted in every heart. And Lord, that, that you would be blessed um, by the, the mothers in our church and that they would know that they are blessed by you. Help us, Lord, I pray, to be thankful and, Lord, to continue to encourage and to, to love and to care for the mother, mothers amongst us for your glory. Amen. Well, this morning I'm going to be dealing with a relatively short passage in Scripture. Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 43 to 45. Um, only three verses. And uh, let me read them for us and then I'll, I'll pray again. Luke chapter 6. Verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs, figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we consider this passage of Scripture, we really see that there are two kinds of people producing two kinds of fruit. And Lord, I realize that even as this word is proclaimed today, even as this passage is read and as this sermon is preached, Lord, there are two kinds of people who will be listening. And Lord, I pray that um, through the power of your Spirit, Lord, that we would all examine our hearts. Lord, that we would examine our fruit. And Lord, that we would, where we see um, bad fruit, I pray that we would repent. Where we see good fruit, I pray that you'd help us to praise your name. And Lord, where are those, there are those who are saved but doubting their salvation, I, I pray, Lord, that they would be guided by your Spirit to consider what your Word says 
about a true disciple. And they would draw great encouragement, again, by your Spirit. Lord, and if there are those who are listening, um, who think they are saved but are not, Lord, I pray that you would shine your light by your Spirit into their hearts as well, and that you would help them to see the reality where they are characterized by fruit that does not glorify your name. I pray that you would help them to see that. And Lord, that you would cause them to repent and turn to Christ in living and saving faith. Lord, I pray that as your word is proclaimed today, that you would reveal our hearts, that you would reveal our fruit, and Lord, that you would cause good fruit to abound for your glory in your people. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen. Here in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45, where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus is continuing to speak about true versus false disciples. True disciples are blessed. True disciples love even their enemies. True disciples aren't judgmental, but carefully judge their teachers and rigorously judge themselves. Well, this last thought continues here. True disciples carefully judge their teachers and rigorously judge themselves. And what is the basis of this judgment? Fruit. Fruit is the basis of proper judgment. If you want to talk about fruit... You really need to talk to Vince. Vince already had 350 fruit trees in his backyard, in his, on, his, on his orchard. Cherries, apricots, peaches, apples, plums. And he's just added 152 more fruit trees, more cherry and peach trees. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. It makes me hungry. It makes me eager for summer. But what is Vince going to do if one of his fruit trees, whether it's one that he just planted or one of the ones that, that has been there for a long time, if, if one of these trees is not producing? What is he going to do with this tree? Well, he's going to till the soil around it. He's going to add fertilizer and he's going to watch it carefully. We're going to revisit this principle when we get to Romans 13 with the parable of the barren fig tree. But if that tree continues to not produce fruit, it is going to be cut down. It's taking up space. It's using up nutrients in the soil that it has no right to do. Well, Paul David Tripp tells a story of an apple tree in his backyard. And I think it's safe to say that Paul David Tripp doesn't really know anything or very little about actual, being an actual orchardist because he doesn't actually have an apple tree. He actually doesn't even have a backyard. Now, he lives in an apartment in Philadelphia, but I think for illustrative purposes, we'll give him a, a pass here. But in his story, he tells about having this this fabricated fruit tree, apple tree in his backyard. And he says year after year, the, the apples that this tree produces are dry. They're wrinkled and brown and pulpy. And his wife tells him that it doesn't make any sense to have this, this apple tree that doesn't produce good fruit. And so she just suggests that he go and cut it down and burn it. But instead, he says that he buys some branch cutters, an industrial grade staple gun, a ladder, and two bushels of shiny red apples. 
and he proceeds to climb the ladder, cut off all the pulpy apples, and then staple shiny red apples to every branch of the tree. Now he said from a, from a distance, this tree it would look like there was a bountiful harvest. From his wife's perspective, he was standing a little bit closer, it would look like he was crazy. But he explains that if a bad tree produces bad apples year after year, it points to a serious problem with the tree all the way down to the roots. You obviously can't solve a problem with this apple tree by stapling new apples on the branches. After a few days, the apples would begin to turn brown and rot. Apples need to be attached to the tree. They need to draw from, from the tree its life-giving nutrients. Furthermore, the next year, the problem is going to occur again. He says, I will not see a new crop of healthy apples because my solution has not gone to the heart of the problem. So the fruit then reveals the heart. The fruit reveals the heart. And in this passage, Jesus is telling us to judge. Jesus is telling us to judge the fruit. But Jesus is not telling us here to be a fruit inspector, to go around scrutinizing everybody else's apples. That's precisely the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. Rather, he's helping us to inspect our own fruit. The tool that you need for this job is not a magnifying glass, it's a mirror. It's a mirror. Now, I do believe in this passage that there is a sense in which some of the judging is definitely going outwards because I believe that the teachers are still in view here, that the disciples need to be careful who they choose as their teachers. True disciples need to be discipled by true disciples. So then Jesus is teaching us here that we are to determine whether, me, whether we and those who would, we would have teach us are truly disciples, and we judge them by their fruit. There are two kinds of fruit. This morning we're going to see that there are two kinds of fruit from two kinds of trees, revealing two kinds of hearts, revealed by two kinds of words. Let me say that again. There are two kinds of fruit from two kinds of trees, revealing two kinds of hearts, revealed by two kinds of words. Now, three key points. First of all, two kinds of trees in verses 43 and 44. Two kinds of hearts in 45a and two kinds of words in 45b. What does your fruit reveal about you? Verse 43, Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. First of all, notice that conjunction, for. This passage is linked with what Jesus has just said. So the context is, is rightly and righteously judging ourselves and rightly and righteously judging our teachers. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus applies this principle directly towards judging teachers, specifically judging prophets. He says in, in Matthew 7, 15 and 16, Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And then he continues using similar words to what those that he uses here in, in Luke chapter 6. Now, false prophets and false teachers can be difficult to spot. They don't have a, a flashing 
amber light on their head. They don't have a, a sign over their head that says false prophet to warn us of the danger. And they often disguise themselves as sheep. They outwardly appear to be Christians. They may even say and do a lot of right things, but they are, there are many who are deceivers. They might even quote the scriptures. But there are many who are deceivers. Paul warned the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Now, I'm not going to pick on the low-hanging fruit here and to identify many of the false teachers who we have in our culture. They're, they're, you know who they are. You know their names. But some of them are not as obvious. Some of them are not as easily discernible. But they will eventually be exposed, for their end will correspond to their deeds. The metaphor wolf in sheep's clothing is, is common. In our day, we, we, people use this all the time. It refers to someone who deceives others by appearing innocent in order to take advantage of those who trust them. But what do wolves like to eat more than anything else? Sheep. A wolf in sheep's clothing is not merely gaining some advantage over the sheep. The wolf in sheep's clothing is devouring the sheep. The wolf in sheep's clothing is not an inconvenience. He's not a difficulty. The wolf in sheep's clothing is a deadly enemy. And if you come under his influence, you will be harmed and you will become like him and you will harm others. You will know them by their fruit. But again, in Luke 6, this is not just about or even primarily about examining others. It's about examining yourself. Jesus' thought here follows directly from what he's just been talking about, about taking the beam out of your own eye before you try to help someone else remove the speck in their own. So first and foremost, we are to examine ourselves. And you will not see clearly to examine a teacher or anyone else unless you examine your own fruit first and examine your own fruit consistently. What does Jesus refer to here when he uses the word fruit? Well, fruit, as you're aware, is a common metaphor in Scripture. The, the word appears several times in the, in, the, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it's usually tied to a material blessing from God. The fruit of the field or the fruit of the womb. Well, in the New Testament, it's usually tied to a spiritual blessing from God and the evidence of the Spirit's work in our hearts. Or when the fruit is bad, it's evidence of a heart that has not been changed by God. Now we heard this, this fruit language from John the Baptist as he prepared the way for Jesus, warning his hearers in Luke 3.8 to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now repentance, remember, is a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. So bearing fruit in keeping with repentance means turning from rebellion and walking in obedience turning from rebellion and walking in obedience. The Apostle Paul contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19-23. The works of the flesh are the bad fruit. 
Now the works of the flesh, he says, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The people whose lives are characterized by this kind of behavior are not Christians. But this list here is not exhaustive. It's representative. Again, if, if, you're, if this is what you are like, and this is what you are like the majority of the time, and, and you're not growing in good fruit, then you should be very concerned about your spiritual state. The Apostle Paul contrasts this when he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. Those who walk and live by the Spirit will have lives that are characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. That's the good fruit. And so the fruit, whether good or bad, reveals what kind of tree it is. The bad fruit doesn't make the tree bad. The bad tree makes bad fruit. Likewise, the good Good fruit doesn't make the tree good. Good trees, rather, produce good fruit. Fruit. Apples don't make apple trees. Well, in one sense they do, because the seeds from the apples turn into trees. But you get my point. James says in James 3.12, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? You produce what you are. Your fruit reveals who you are. And being loving towards your enemy, for example, doesn't make you good. Rather, those who have been made good love their enemies. What kind of tree are you? Now again, we're, we're not going to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit perfectly or consistently or with full maturity. When I was in seminary, uh, my pastor, Ryan Fullerton, uses this actual illustration. You've, you've heard it from me before. He talks about a peach tree that he, ha he had in his backyard. And he would say if he went out in, into his backyard in, in early June, and there were these, I think I have the timing of that right, Vince, and there's these little nubs of peaches. He, he wouldn't say, curse you and cut the tree down. But if into late July, he was seeing that these, all that was on this tree were, were little nubby peaches, he would know there's a problem. And again, he would, would seek to, to do what we talked about earlier. He would seek to till the soil and fertilize it and then, cause, and then help the tree to produce good fruit. And so again, when we think about ourselves, we know that we don't consistently exhibit good fruit, do we? Well, speaking for myself, I know I don't. But I, I hope that, that as you step back from your life, I hope that as you consider the, the trajectory of life, the way your life is going, that as, as you think of the, not just the, the hours of the days, but the weeks and the months and the years, that there is growth, that the fruit in your life is growing. And I would encourage you to, to, to ask, a, ask a brother or sister who is, is close to you, especially ask your spouse. Say, are you seeing the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Are you seeing me grow? In these things. Because quite often, the, the, the fruit we, we don't see, we're too close to ourselves. We don't have any objectivity. We either, we either don't see the good stuff that God is doing, 
But we don't see the bad stuff that our flesh is doing. So it's really helpful to talk to, to someone who's close to you, you know, who's going to love you enough to lovingly tell you the truth. As I said earlier, you don't need a magnifying glass for this. You need a mirror. But there's an old proverb that says the man who has friends doesn't need a mirror. Because if, if somebody cares for you and they, they love you, they're going to lovingly tell you the truth, even if it hurts. If you see me walking around with a big piece of lettuce in my teeth, you're not, you're not going to let me go around like that and, and, and embarrass myself with this big piece of lettuce. You're going to lovingly tell me. I can't see the lettuce. So I'm going to rely on, on those who are close to me to lovingly tell me about the lettuce and say, hey, John, hopefully subtly, not in front of a bunch of people, but, but, but these are the things that, that we can do for each other. But, but again, we, this has got to be in, in love. It's got to be because in a, with a heart of, of really caring for the other person, the glory of God, not just, just going around criticizing everybody else and pointing out what's wrong. We need to be doubly aware of pointing out what's right. That's sometimes harder. It's easier for many of us to see what's wrong. It's easier, us to, easier for us to notice the crooked line than it is the straight line. But may we be those who are intentionally seeking to encourage one another and recognizing the work of God in each other for the glory of God and for the encouraging. And this is a way that, that you can fertilize a tree by, by giving it what it needs by giving it the love and tender care that it needs. Well, Jesus continues the metaphor in verse 44. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes are picked from a bramble bush. This is similar to what, what James has said in James 3. In Israel, thorn bushes and bramble bushes were, were common. They're all over the hills of Israel. But these scraggly bushes were pretty much useless. They, they, you couldn't even really use the wood from, from one of these bushes to make a cooking fire because it quickly, the wood would quickly burn up and wouldn't get hot enough to, to cook something with. And these bushes, these thorn bushes and brambles are, are a bane to farmers who, who have to work constantly to get rid of them because quite often these, these weeds, really is what they are, grow up more readily and easily than the trees that they want to cultivate. This makes me think of a, of a bush that was really common in Australia. It's known as the, the wait-a-while bush. The wait-a-while bush. It's one of the most notorious and common plants in the, the northern part of Australia, in the, the warmer part of Australia. And it, these, these, these plants hang from the canopy. They, they hang down from the canopy and they have, they have sharp hooked thorns on the stem. And it's called the wait-a-while because if you're walking through the bush and you get caught up in one of these, it's going to get caught up in the legs of your, of your clothing and, and it's going to, you're going to have to wait a while while you disentangle yourself. Well, I remember um, at a, a college and career camp when I was with a bunch of friends and we were, we were going rappelling down a cliff in the dark. And because it was... It was Dark, I really couldn't see what was on the side of the cliff. And as I, I went down, I encountered one of these wait-a-while bushes wearing shorts. And as this, as this plant grabbed onto my legs, it actually flipped me upside down as it, it grabbed hold of my, my skin that tightly. 
And then as I'm hanging there upside down, trying to disentangle these thorns from my flesh, really at this point, I wasn't feeling the pain because I, there was so much adrenaline, but, but I had to disentangle this wait a while bush from my leg in order to get safely down the cliff. And then afterwards, my legs were, were, were covered with these, these long scratches and, and painful and deep even scratches because of this, this thorn bush. But I think that, that presents the kind of the, uh, the kind of picture of the fruit that you get from thorn and bramble bushes. Not only do these bushes have no benefit, but they actually hinder your progress and they hurt. So whether it's true of, of thorns or, or whatever, um, whatever form that, that th false disciples come in, whether teachers or students, whatever form those thorns come in, we need to ask the question, are they hindering Others, are you hindering others in their spiritual development? Are you causing them harm? What kind of tree are you? What kind of fruit are you producing? Another botanical illustration. This passage lends itself to this. I had no idea how many house plants and garden plants are poisonous until, Liam was, until Owen was born. Liam was tube-fed, so he didn't have this, this desire to, to stick everything in his mouth. But with Owen, we've had to call poison control five times, including one trip to the ER where we're hustled past the waiting crowd straight into the examination room. Bad fruit doesn't just hurt you. Bad fruit can kill you, and it can kill those around you. Daryl Bach warns, watch what you produce and make sure that the one whom you follow gives good produce. Watch what you produce and be careful about the, and make sure that the one whom you follow is giving good produce. Well, second, let's look at different kinds of hearts. Verse 45a. Two different kinds of hearts. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. So the two kinds of trees reveal two kinds of hearts. The heart here means the deepest thoughts, to the core of your being. It's the core of who you are. So that's your heart. And the word that's translated treasure usually refers to that which is stored, on up, stored up on earth or in heaven. It's, it's the storehouse. And so from the storehouse of your inner person comes either good or evil. Either good or evil from your storehouse. We also need to ask, what does Jesus mean when he speaks here of the good person? Because he told the rich young ruler in Luke 18, 19 that no one is good except God alone. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, good here does not mean that anyone has any righteousness of their own, that they are intrinsically good. Rather, it means that they are comparatively good. As in, good compared to evil. So the good are in a different class from those who are evil. They're of a different sort. They're of a different kind. There are two kinds of people. Those who produce good because their heart is good, and those who produce evil because their heart is evil. Good people, as good trees, have good hearts 
that will bear good fruit, whereas bad people, as bad trees, have bad hearts that bear bad fruit. But we know that we were all born with bad hearts. As David says in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So at conception, a sinner has come into the world. At your conception, a sinner has come into the world. You and I were conceived with bad hearts, and we were born with bad hearts. Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind, Ephesians 2.3. We were all born the children of Adam. We were all guilty because of Adam's guilt. He was our federal head. He was our representative. And so when Adam sinned, we all sinned. This past week with our children, we've been looking at, at question 19 of the Baptist Catechism. I have the song in my head right now. What was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? The sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created was eating the forbidden fruit. We explained to the children that the, this was the second worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. That all sin comes from that one sin. Explain that every time that they were that they're disobedient, every time that they're selfish or mean to their siblings, it is because of that one sin, because of Adam's one sin in the garden. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. Romans 5:12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We are totally depraved. Totally depraved is, is how we were born. Now, this doesn't mean that we were all as bad as we could be, but that we were corrupt in all we are. Everything about us, body and soul, was tainted by sin. All of who we are, of who we are from the heart outwards has been affected by sin. Jeff Thomas says that our heart and soul and imagination and mind and spirit and affections and will, there is no part of a man that has not been touched by his depravity. That is what is meant by total depravity. Because of this, people are incapable, all by themselves, unaided by God, of changing their characters and of acting in a way that contradicts their fundamental hostility to God. In other words, Left to their own devices, they are unable to discern or love or choose the things that are pleasing to God and contrary to self. As Jeremiah says, can the Ethiopian, Ethiopian change the color of his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you who can do, can do good who are accustomed to do evil. Jeremiah 13, 23. Well, that was you and that was me. That was you and me. We were all slaves of sin and free in regard to righteousness, Romans 6.20. This is related to total depravity. This is total inability. We were totally unable to do anything good. The sinful heart can't do anything good. Romans 8, 7 and 8. The sinful mind does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God can't. We couldn't do anything to please God. As Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please 
God. This is not about just, just cleansing the outside. This is not about just trying to clean up what we do. Clean up our lives a little bit. Like Jesus tells the Pharisee in Luke eleven thirty nine. Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. This is true of all unregenerate sinners. I remember so well from my time in Narcotics Anonymous. As I went to meetings and people would, would share what was going on in their lives and, and people would talk about the same sins over, and they wouldn't use that terminology, but the same things over and over and over again. There was no change. Others would have victory over alcohol, but they turned to gambling. Or they were workaholics or consumed by sinful relationships. I knew one man who had been an alcoholic, and he had stopped drinking alcohol, but he became addicted to coffee. This man drank 30 cups of coffee a day. He would wake up in the middle of the night to have a cup of coffee. But he didn't realize that he had a problem. And at the meetings, people would, would raise their hand and say, I'm Bill, and I'm an addict. Now, I understand the rationale behind that, because there, there, in, in doing this, they're, they're saying that, uh, we're proclaiming that we can't ever go back to social drinking or, or social drugging. But I had and have some theological concerns with making that statement. Even though I, I would, would, at that time, I would say that, the reality was I wasn't an addict. The reality was I was and am a new creature in Christ. I am no longer an addict. I'm no longer in bondage to the things that once consumed and controlled me. But for many, I've met very, very few, precious few Christians when I was in Narcotics Anonymous, but, but the reality is that many of them were right. Many of them were still addicts, so they were saying more than they knew. Now, please know that I am not judging anybody by bringing this up. I know that it is entirely by the grace of God that I have gotten free from that life and that lifestyle. I know that I continue to have my own issues with sin, and I know that I'm not overcoming sin as quickly as I would like. I'm simply pointing out that it's not just about changing your outward behavior, because change begins with the heart, and you and I are powerless to change our own hearts. Otherwise, it's like a game of whack-a-mole, where the moles just keep popping up and you have to keep whacking them. The only way to win at whack-a-mole is by unplugging the machine. Because otherwise, the moles just keep coming and they come faster and faster. You will never win whack-a-mole unless you unplug the machine. Friends, the only way for us to defeat our sin is through the Holy Spirit's unplugging us from our sinful heart and plugging us in to Christ. That is the only way to find freedom from sin. We all need the gospel. We all need to be born again mentioned a moment ago that Adam's sin in the garden was the second worst thing that's ever happened. Well, the second worst thing that has ever happened necessitated the first worst thing that ever happened. The second worst thing that ever happened needed to be, was the Adam's sin was necessitated the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. Or no one would ever be saved. 
As W. Gutbrod says in the Theological Dictionary of the, of the New Testament, the only thing that makes the heart good is standing in a position of divine sonship inaugurated by Jesus Christ. The only one who could save you from your sins is not you. The only one who can save you from your sins is Jesus Christ. In John 3.3, 3, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And Jesus goes on to explain that being born again is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who regenerates the heart. It is the Holy Spirit who takes out the stony heart and replaces it with a heart of flesh, who takes unbelief out and puts faith in who takes rebellion out and put worship in. Who, so now, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we now love what we once hated, and we hate what we once loved. We used to hate God, now we love God. We used to love sin, now we hate sin. You didn't do this in yourself. This is the Holy Spirit who has done this in your heart, by God's grace, for your good, and for God's glory. The heart has been tilled by the Holy Spirit. Luke 8, 15. So it, it becomes good soil, and that they who, those who are hearing the word hold it fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This, my friends, is a work of the Holy Spirit. Again from Paul, Paul David Tripp. He says, If the tree's roots remain unchanged, it will never produce good apples. If my heart is the source of my sin problem, then lasting change must always travel through the pathway of my heart. It is not enough to alter my behavior or change my circumstances. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. If the heart doesn't change, the person's words and behavior may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive. But when the pressure or incentive is removed, those changes will disappear. Again, we realize that we don't consistently produce good fruit. We realize that, that we're living in this tension between the already and the not yet, that although we are new creatures in Christ, we still have to contend with the flesh. We still have to fight with the sin that so easily entangles us. We're not entirely free from that wait-a-while bush. There's a daily struggle against sin. But now, because of God's grace, we have been given an ally, an omnipotent ally, who will help us to gain full and final victory. So whenever you do anything good, whenever you are, are showing good fruit, whenever you are walking in obedience, especially in an area where your life used to be characterized by disobedience, praise God. Because, as Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 says, you are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works. It's rather, just verse 10. You are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus for the good works that he's prepared in advance that you should walk in them. So you are doing good works because God has changed your heart. And because the Holy Spirit is continuing to sanctify you and to make you more like Jesus. This sanctification is, is progressive. And, and so every day in your life, slowly Gradually, you'll become more like Jesus. So finally, there are two kinds of words. Two kinds of words. 
Verse 45b, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The two kinds of hearts are revealed by two kinds of words. Words are one of the most revealing pieces of fruit. There's other fruit as well. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23 lists some of them. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these come from within, and they defile a person. So again, it's, it's revealing that these things reveal what is coming from within, from the heart. But as Jesus focuses here on your words, realize that your words speak. Your words speak. What do your words say about you? Again, your words reveal what is in your heart. Think about your words over the past week. Think about your words today. How have you spoken to others? How have you spoken about others? Now, even as I say that, I'm being reminded of several things where I exhibited bad fruit. My words spoke about something that was in my heart that was not right. But how much of your conversation has been guided by Scripture, empowered by the Holy Spirit? How much of your conversation has been Godward? Paul warns in Ephesians 429, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So put off corrupting talk and put on edifying talk. And again, you can't do this in and of yourself. This is a requirement. This requires the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. So what comes bubbling up out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. It reveals who you are. Now again, there's not, not, we're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about perfect maturity. But when you have truly been born again, there will be a marked change. There will be that, that turning point. You'll be different because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Now, I remember as a young Christian, when an unbelieving friend spoke to me, a friend from, from before I was saved, and he said to me, what's up, what's up with you, John? You never swear. You know something? I never actually tried to stop swearing. I, I could swear with the worst of them as an unbeliever. But I didn't, I didn't try. Now, there's other sins that I had to really fight hard and still have to fight hard against, but... but the Holy Spirit had done a work in my heart so that the, the foul language stopped. Well, maybe not altogether, but mostly. I remember um, also as a young believer, probably pretty close to that time, and I've shared this, this story not too long ago, but I was, was riding along the, the side of the road and, and on my bicycle, and, and a, a car swerved, and, and I had to swerve and fall off my bike, otherwise I would have been hit by the car. And in that moment of, of shock and, and anger, what was happening, I, I took the Lord's name in vain. And I still, to this day, I remember the, the pain, the angst of having done that. Yes, I, I wasn't 
I, I still wasn't perfect in my, my language, but my heart had changed. My, my desires of, of wanting to honor the Lord with my words had changed. So, so whenever you don't talk like how you used to talk, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Whenever you, you now talk about the things you never used to talk about, whenever you, you share the gospel with someone, whenever you praise God, whenever you pray, the kinds of things that, that often make unbelievers squirm, when, when, you, when you do these things, you're revealing the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You're revealing that you have been given a changed heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that, that I'm not the only one who is still occasionally shocked by what comes out of my mouth. Thinking, whoa, that's still there? But brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged. When that happens, use your words to confess your sin to God. To know that he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see, when those words come up out of your mouth, you're actually being given an opportunity. Your words are then viewed as a, a spiritual barometer. They're, they're helping you to see sin that's still hidden in there, in those dark places in your heart. Confess it and ask forgiveness of God. And, and where it's, it's necessary and appropriate, ask forgiveness of the one you've sinned against. James 3, 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting it on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And so again, when we think about people whose, whose words are characterized by sinful speech, we're seeing something here. We're seeing something here. And, it, and again, in that passage, False teachers are in view because, because he's saying that not many should become teachers because teachers are under stricter judgment. But, but again, or false teachers were in view there, but, but there's a wider application. Wider application. I mentioned earlier um, Matthew 7 where this, this, past, this principle is being taught. Jesus also teaches it in Matthew chapter 12, verses 35, 34 and 35. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Again, another parallel passage. Well, verse 36 adds a helpful warning. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words will be, you will be condemned. What words have you spoken to others? Or what words have you spoken about others? Dishonor God and dishonor that other person. John the Baptist warned in Luke 3, 9, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What a dire warning this is. 
This is a, a dire warning of, of condemnation because of the sin that is revealed in the unregenerate heart. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, you can articulate the words. You can mouth the words, Jesus is Lord, and you can sing the great hymns of the faith, and you can profess love for the Lord. But be unregenerate. What Paul is saying there is that no one can actually have Jesus as a Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. No one can truly submit to Jesus. No one can turn from their sin and begin to bear good fruit for the glory of God and say good fruit for the glory of God apart from the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to continue and saying the same thing in, in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I tell you? Verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. This is the man who has his house built on the firm foundation. It's not just about saying the words. It's about the words revealing what is really in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Your fruit reveals your spiritual condition. Examine yourself. When your fruit is bad, repent. When your fruit is good, praise God. But maybe there might be some amongst us who, whose words and their fruit reveal that they are not regenerate. Well, the answer is still the same. It's still repent. It's still turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. It's, it's, it's praising God for his saving grace. But would you pray with me? Brothers and sisters, would you pray with me? Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Gracious and forgiving God, we praise you that though we were your enemies, though our lives were filled with stinking, rotten, poisonous fruit, you have changed us through the power of your Holy Spirit. You have changed our hearts so that now, instead of wickedness, instead of bad fruit, good fruit would begin to emerge. Good fruit would begin to grow and abound for your glory. Lord, we pray that you would help us to continually walk in repentance and faith. Would you help us to continually examine ourselves according to your word by the power of your spirit and to be ruthless in looking for bad fruit and cutting it out through the power of your spirit. Lord, and if there are those amongst us who are, are hearing these words and are not yet regenerate, we pray that you would do that work 
of regeneration in their hearts, that you would grant them repentance and faith so that they also can begin to bring forth good fruit for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.